Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Yeah, we're glad that you're here. And uh, we are uh, experiencing some technical difficulties this morning. And uh, so there will not be any video announcements. And actually, uh, during the message... I will encourage you to go on the Church Center app and you'll be able to get all of the notes and the scripture and all of that stuff on there. If you click on the more tab and then go to, um, I think it's messages maybe, and you'll be able to see it on there or notes or whatever. I can't remember what it says, but you can get all those on there. But I was standing down here in worship and I was thinking about this and just, uh, come on, how many know sometimes you just got to rebuke, you just got to rebuke the enemy. (laughs) And I feel like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, I don't need a screen for my word to do something in people's hearts. And so uh, I truly believe that, that uh, God's word is going to do what God's word can do. Amen? Amen. Uh, really quickly, grow groups. Um, and I do not know all of the announcements. I apologize. Um, this was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. But I do know grow groups have just kicked off. And if you're not in a group, we would recommend you get in a group. You need to be in a group. You need community. You need to be growing together. You need to be uh, being around other people who are heading in the same direction that you're heading in. And so we believe it's vitally important. And so we would encourage you to, you can go on the Church Center app, click on the Groups tab, and you'll see all the options that are still available on there. And uh, it's just, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a fantastic semester of uh, community and growing together in the Word. And then the last thing I'll mention is our mission trip. Uh, we've talked about this several times, but July the 5th through the 12th, and the reason I'm bringing it up today is because we need, uh, if you're planning to be a part of the mission team this year and go on the mission trip, then we need uh, as soon as possible that it's a $250 deposit that secures your spot, your plane ticket, all of that. The total cost of that is $2,000, and that includes airfare, that includes transportation there, it includes all of your meals, all of the projects we're going to be doing, all of the ministry, everything is included in that. So if you want to go, that's kind of what you're looking at, and uh, we'll be having here in the next uh, few weeks or so, we'll be having another gathering um, to just kind of bring that team together and talk about what that's going to look like. So I would encourage you to get signed up. Uh, Same thing with that. If you go to signups on the Church Center app, you'll see the mission trip uh, graphic on there, and that's where you can pay that deposit and get yourself on the team, and then uh, we can start meeting with you and getting you all of that information. And I want to pray for another church in the community today. I'm going to pray for Freedom Church. So will you bow your heads and just uh, let's lift them up today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this room. And we don't take it for granted to come together corporately and worship you and be in your word together. Lord, we pray for Freedom Church right now. I pray that you would bless everything that they do to build your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that uh, you're blessing their congregation, their pastor, their leadership. And we thank you for the opportunity to be uh, building your kingdom alongside them in this community. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, I told you, uh, I mentioned it last week, that we were going to begin a new series today. And periodically throughout the year, two to three times a year, we will take a specific book of the Bible and we will go through it and actually read every single verse in that book of the Bible and just kind of talk about it. Now, uh, it's really hard to, uh, to talk about every little bitty detail 
that is in these, uh, like this letter we're going to look at today. But we're going to hit on a lot of things and how it applies to our lives today. And, uh, and I'm excited about what God's going to do over the next four weeks or so as we go through uh, the book of Colossians together. And uh, as we go through this series, I always, every time we do a series on a book of the Bible, I always like to encourage you to read that book of the Bible while we're in this series. Just over and over and over again. I think there's something so powerful about you not just waiting until you come to church to read the Bible or hear the Word of God, but for you to actually be in it at home in your own quiet time. And what, what I would encourage you to do, just a simple thing that we do every single time, is read one chapter a day. So maybe you want to start tomorrow morning and read Colossians 1. We're going to be talking about it today. Uh, and then on Tuesday, chapter 2, and just keep doing that. And by the time we've gone through this entire series, you will have read this letter or this book of the Bible, as we like to call it. Uh, you'll have read it several times through. And I believe that God really wants to speak to you he really can't speak to you. He can speak to you through me and the words that he gives me to say, but he can speak to you individually when you're sitting in your living room or in your car on a lunch break or something and you're in God's word. So I uh, want to encourage you to do that. And anytime we start a series on a specific book of the Bible, I like to answer a few questions, kind of give some background uh, just really quickly before we dive in. Uh, so the question number one is who wrote Colossians? Like a lot of the letters in the New Testament, it is the Apostle Paul uh, he did write this to, uh, you know, when was it written? Uh, around A.D. 60 to 62 is what most theologians think. And uh, so it's about 30 years after Jesus has died, been resurrected, ascent, gone back to heaven. About 30 years later, Paul is writing this. And he's writing this to believers or the church in Colossae. And so everything we read, this is so important for you to understand this about, uh, about when you read the New Testament and you read uh, these letters that were written to churches, letters that were written to people or whatever, like this is a letter written to believers. This is not a letter, this is not a letter in current, like written to lost people, okay? Lo I believe that God can use it to bring lost people into the family of God, but this is a letter that Paul actually wrote to people who already believed. They were a part of the church in this specific community, in this specific city. And here's the, the, the last question I'll answer, and we'll take a few minutes on this. What's the overall theme of Colossians? If we were going to say, what is four chapters in Colossians, what is the overall theme of this book of the Bible? Here's what I would say. Uh, Paul writes this letter to these believers because he's concerned. He's concerned about something. He's concerned about uh, that they are beginning to be pulled away from true faith in Jesus. So this church has been planted, these people have heard the gospel, these people have heard the good news of Jesus and what it's all about, and now he's concerned that they're being pulled away from what is actually true. And it's kind of, I, I would picture it this way, in our culture, there's this tendency to be pulled away from what's actually true. There's this tendency to read God's word, to have it say what we want it to say, or to line up with what we want to do, and we'll try to go find a verse to be able to back up what we want to do, or our opinion, and we don't need to read the word of God that way. And here's, here's what was going on. It, uh, there was a different philosophy, there was a different teaching um, it eventually became known, maybe you'll be familiar with this term, eventually became known as Gnosticism. And I want to talk to you about um, what Gnosticism is. Just a few points as I was looking this up and studying it a little bit. Uh, Gnosticism stressed the need for observing Old Testament laws and ceremonies. So there were these people that were trying to teach that you can't just have Jesus. Like, okay, what Jesus did is great. But you actually have to go obey this law and this law and do this thing in this way and see, like, 
wash your hands in this way and do this in this way and all of this traditional stuff. They said, no, it's Jesus and you have to do this. You still have to do all of these things. So that's what they were teaching. Uh, Gnosticism taught that believers had to know some special or deeper knowledge in order to be included. Right? So it was like an exclusive club. You had to know certain things. You had to have a certain type of knowledge to really be included. Gnosticism uh, was a teaching that where angels were worshipped as mediators between men and God. So you can't just, we know this to be false, that we, and hopefully you know this, that you can actually talk to God. That because of what Jesus has done for us and his death and burial and resurrection, we have direct connection. Like we can actually talk to God. We can pour our hearts out to God. We can hear the voice of God through the Holy Spirit inside of us. Like there's a conversation going on between us and God. And this belief was that there were angels that were mediators, right? Like you had to go to an angel and the angel took it to God. And then the angel got God's response and would bring it back to you. And so there was this weird thing going on. It, Gnosticism believed that only its own converts were true believers. That if you didn't do all of these things, if you didn't meet the criteria that they had set in place, then you weren't a real believer. You weren't a true believer. And here's, here's something that's very important. Gnosticism denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to see, and can you, I mean, can you see the danger in being taught this? And these people have heard about Jesus and heard the gospel and they've believed. And now there are people that are teaching and trying to convince them that, no, that's really not all there is. There's more than that. And Paul's writing a letter to correct some things. Like, no, you need to remember what is actually true? Charles Swindoll said this. He said, Gnostics taught that matter was evil and that whatever was physically pleasing to humans was spiritually displeasing to God, which would include things like marriage and eating certain foods. So they taught you're not to marry and you shouldn't eat certain foods. I mean, this is the type of teaching that was going on that Paul is writing to them to say, we've got to correct something. I've got to remind you of what you actually believed in the beginning because this is what is true. And so what we're going to read as we go through Colossians is a lot of Paul's response to this other teaching that was going on. And here's essentially what I think Paul is saying, if I could sum it up just in, in two short sentences or one phrase, is that Jesus is enough Nothing additional is needed. Jesus is enough, and you don't have to do so many certain good things to actually receive him. Jesus is enough, and you don't have to get it all together before you can actually be a follower of Jesus. That actually, as you follow Jesus, that's what gets your life together. That Jesus, he, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he teaches you and he reminds you of truth. And as you follow Jesus, then things start to come into focus and he's working things out in your life. Jesus is enough and nothing additional is needed. And so as we jump into chapter one, I think if you want a title or a major theme, I think that this would be it for chapter one, that Jesus is above everything. Jesus is above everything. So here we go. We're going to jump into Colossians chapter one together. And we'll break this into little segments and we'll talk about it as we go along. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, This letter is from Paul, so there we know that it's obviously him who wrote it. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So there we see right there, it's to believers. 
We're writing to the people who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. They're believers. May God our Father give you grace and peace. So Paul, he lets us know up front that he's been chosen by God to do what he was doing. Now, I want to just pause here for a moment and say something that I have said before, but I want you to hear it again. I believe that there is an overall calling and purpose for our lives collectively as believers, as followers of Jesus. I think that Jesus gave it to us. It's in Matthew 28. I think you can read it in Mark 16. It's just kind of worded a little bit different, but he's getting at the same type of thing, and we would call it the Great Commission. Where Jesus said, here's what your purpose, here's what you are called to do. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to do what I have told you to do. Like, do these things. This is what believers do. This is what we do. And if you're not doing that, then maybe you need to take inventory of what's going on in your life. Because this is what we do. But I also believe that every single person has a specific calling and purpose. Like, you have gifts that I don't have. You have talents that I don't have. You have, you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You have experience from your past in your life, your upbringing, and people you've come into contact with and all that I don't have. And God wants to use those specific things to help you and lead you to do specific things for his kingdom. That there are things that God may call you to do specifically and reach certain people that I may never do and I may never reach. So collectively, we have a purpose. And individually, we have a purpose. And Paul says this. He says, I was chosen by God to do this. This is what I'm called to do. I'm called to do this. And so he's letting us know up front, this is my calling. And many times... Um, We see the last two words of verse 2 at the beginning of a lot of letters, especially a lot of letters that Paul writes to believers and to these churches. And it's these two words, grace and peace. Have you ever noticed this when you read read a lot of the New Testament letters? Grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you, grace. There's there's a lot of grace and peace, and he likes to start out this way. And uh, grace is this, it was a common greeting Right? In those days, it was a common greeting. They would, they, would, they would say this, but it's also a biblical truth. And I, I, I loved this commentary that was talking about God's grace. This is what it says. God's grace is a difficult notion for most people to grasp, partly because it contradicts so much of what we learn and experience in the non-Christian society that surrounds and conditions us. And I'm going to tell you in just a minute, this is, this is our issue. If, if it's difficult for you to... Uh, to think about and understand God's grace, that it really is a free gift, nothing you could earn. The reason is because of what we are taught in culture and what we are taught and, and just how our minds think. And here's, and here's what he says. He says, everyday experience, it teaches us that receiving gifts from others is conditioned on first giving something. So here's why grace is so hard for us to understand. It's because we are conditioned in our minds and in our culture that if I'm going to get something or receive something from you, I've got to do something first. I've got to give a gift to get a gift. And there's not anything wrong with that, but when it comes to the grace of God, you don't have to give anything to receive it. Jesus did everything for you. And so this is not just a greeting. I think we have to really understand, like, grace is a free gift 
It's as if Paul wants these believers and us today to know that it all starts with grace. We can't earn grace. We don't deserve grace. We just receive grace because God freely gives it. And I love this. God just loves us because he loves us. If we could ever wrap our minds around that truth right there. The Bible says in Romans that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. In other words, it is the fact that you recognize that God has been so faithful and so kind and so gracious and so merciful to you in in the midst of everything that you've done that you come to this realization that that just seems too good to be true. And that kindness leads us to surrender our life to him. If he is going to be this kind and this good and this generous and this gracious and this merciful, and he's going to remove all of my sin, and it's going to be like I'm going to be justified just as if I'd never sinned, like that's the way that God's going to see me because of what Jesus did, then that kindness leads me to, well, I don't want to abuse the grace of God. I don't want to take advantage of the grace of God. Like I want, I want to surrender my life to him. It's by the grace of God that we're here today and that we can live with the peace that Jesus gives us. And then he goes on the next few verses, verses 3 through 5. Paul's saying this to these people. He says, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Every time, every time I read this, because this is not the first instance where uh, we see in the Gospels, it's in John, where Jesus prays, and it's recorded. I'm praying for you. He even tells Peter, you know, you're going to deny me. Like, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. That when you return, you're going to strengthen your brothers. You're going to, like, this is what you're going to do. Paul, many times in the Scriptures, we, we see it in Ephesians and other places where he has this prayer for these believers and it makes me, every time I read something like this, it makes me ask myself a question. This is what always comes to mind. Do I consistently pray for other believers? Do, like, do I consistently pray for you? And do you consistently pray for me? Paul is away from these people, and he writes them and he says, here's what you need to know. I pray for you all the time. Every day I get, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Can, do you have that heart? So when you, when you get up in the morning, do you think about people that you can pray for? People that are walking through something? People that you go to church with? People that are your friends? Like, do you think about people that you can pray for? Or do you wake up and just think about you? We have to learn to be people that like, and it's a habit that we have to form. That every day, who, who, like Holy Spirit, who do you want me to pray for today? Who do you need me to lift up today? Who do you need me to, like, I may not even know what they're going through, but I can pray for them. In another one of Paul's letters, he makes this statement. This is Ephesians 6, 18. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And look at this. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Stay alert and be persistent. Persistently pray for believers everywhere. Persistently, and, and here's one of the reasons why. Don't you want somebody praying for you? Yes. 
I mean, do, is there anybody at church today that would want to go through life and just know that nobody prays for me? I'm just on my own, trying to serve God, trying to do my best, trying to get through life, and nobody prays for me. Nobody would say that. We all want people that we know are in our corner, they're praying for us, that we can call on when we're facing something difficult, and I know they will pray. And what if you became that for somebody else? What if, you became, what if we took Paul's advice and we said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be persistent in praying for other believers every day. Every day I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to pray for them. Now, I don't believe that Paul had ever been to uh, Colossae, but he had still heard about what he, what he says here in verses 3 through 5, their strong faith and their love for people. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, what a powerful way for people to recognize you. That Paul says, here's what I recognize about you. That you have strong faith and you have love for people. And what does it mean to have strong faith and love for people? So I want to talk about these for just a minute. Strong faith, it means that you lean on Jesus with absolute confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. It means that in every area of your life, I'm leaning on Jesus. I have strong faith. I don't have faith in myself. I have faith in Jesus. My faith is strong. I believe that when I lean into him, I'm going to have his power. I'm going to have his wisdom. His goodness is, is following me everywhere that I go. What does it mean to love people? Well, it would seem... You would think we would know what this means, but in the original language, in the Greek, there are multiple words for the word love, and so there are different types of love. This is the one he's talking about here. This is, it's, not a, it's not a matter of emotion. Too many times we are led by our emotions. I don't love you because I don't feel like loving you. I don't love you because I don't feel it. I don't have the emotion. When I, when I feel it, then I'll show it. When I feel it, then I'll tell you. When I feel it, then, then it'll really make a difference when I feel it. And many of us are waiting to feel it. And I talked about this, I think it was last week, that when the Bible talks about the heart, guarding your heart and, and your innermost being, it's talking about what? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And we said this last week, we have to lead our heart. You cannot follow your heart. So can I tell you today, you cannot follow your emotions. There are some of us in this room today that if we'd have followed how we felt, we wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now because it was raining. We had to lead ourselves. I don't care if it's raining. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go be in God's house with other believers. We led, our emo we led how we felt. We've got to stop being led by our emotions. And this is not a matter of emotion. This love is about doing things for the benefit of another person. This love is about having an unselfish concern and a willingness to seek the best for another person. So I think we could say it this way. If we were going to say, what does it look like to be somebody with strong faith and somebody who loves people? It's that I have complete confidence in Jesus and an unselfish concern for other people. And what would it look like for your life if people recognized you that way? That when they thought of you, there's somebody who has complete confidence in Jesus and they have an unselfish concern for people. They're just, they're not selfish. They're always doing things for other people. Like they're putting others above themselves. They just trust God every time they're walking through something. You say, well, are you going to be okay? And they're like, yeah, I just got trust in God. I know that God's going to see us through it. That's, that's what it looks like to do that. And what would it be for people to, you know, I was, I was thinking about this, what would, 
Well, I've heard about Amanda, and I thank God for her strong faith and her love for people. I've, I've heard about John. I've heard about Stephen. I've heard about, thi- I've heard about this person, and I appreciate them, and I'm thankful for them because they have confidence in Jesus, and they love people. And Paul's writing them, and he says, here's what I recognize about you. And what would it look like in your life for people to recognize that about you? That when they think about you, they think about, that person trusts God. And they are unselfish. They are always doing things. They love, they truly love people. I was thinking this last week about this question. When people hear about Impact Church, do they hear about our strong faith and love for people? Every time I hear about that church, I thank God that they're in this community because they got strong faith and they love people. I sure hope that's what we're recognized for. That people are like, man, that's what I know, that's what I recognize about them. And then verses 6 through 8, look at this. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. And what is it doing? It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it, or first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And I absolutely love the middle of verse 6. And I, wanna, I just want to make just read this one statement. The good news is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. He, he says, this same good news that you've heard, it's going all over the world. And what is it doing? The actual good news. Now, you've got to remember, he's, he, there, there's people there that are trying to teach something different than this. Oh, it's not just about that. You've got to do some things, too. You've got to recognize this, and you've got to keep this tradition, and you've got to... And he's writing, he says, the good news that you initially heard, the good news that you believed in the beginning, it's going out all over the world. Let me encourage you, it is bearing fruit. How is it bearing fruit? By changing people's lives, which begs the question, has the good news or the gospel of Jesus actually changed your life? Or do you claim it and live however you want to? Boy, I just love y'all so much. He said this good news, the, the, like God's kindness, what Jesus did for you, his death, that he laid his life down, took all your sin, it's bearing fruit all over the world by changing lives. And then he tells them, he said, just like it changed your life, just like whenever you believed it and you received it, it changed everything about you. It changed everything about you. It changed the way that you walked and the way that you talked and the places that you went and the people that you hung out with and the way that you spent your time and what you watched on TV. Like, it changed it all. It changed it all. It changed your life. And when you understand the good news of Jesus and you receive it, come on, it will change your life. It'll change you. The the problem is... We fight change. So we want God. And we want to be saved. But we don't want to be changed. God, I want you in my life, but don't tell me what to do. I want you in my life, but I'm not changing that. 
And he says, oh, he, and here's what, I would, here's what I would ask you, and this is the way I think that, this is the way I interpret this as Paul is writing this. What good news have you believed? Because if it hasn't changed your life, what are you believing? What have you believed? Have you, have you slipped into like Jesus plus? Have you slipped into, listen, have you slipped into Jesus being added but not at the center? Like I've added Jesus to my life, but he's not the center of my life. One, one seminary professor listed three ways that the gospel will change your life. And this is so good. So good. Here's number one, just really quickly. It gives you freedom from the past. The good news of Jesus and what Jesus did for you wants to set you free from your past. This is why a few weeks ago when we were launching groups, this semester of groups, and we were talking about freedom groups, this new thing that we're starting up that in the spring and the fall we're going to have these freedom groups, and we were encouraging you at some point go through a freedom group. Can I just tell you, I think those freedom groups, were like in five days, they were full. Because, because we recognize that we need some freedom from some things in our lives. And here's what the gospel does. Here's what the good news does. Here's what Jesus, what he did for you, what it does is it sets you free from your past. The old is gone. The new has come. There is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. It sets us free from our past. Here's the second thing. Second way that the gospel changes your life. It gives you power for the present. It'll set you free from your past and it'll give you power right now. As Christians, we are justified. I said that a minute ago, just as if we'd never sinned. And the Holy Spirit, we did an entire series last summer on the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to every single one of those. Maybe you need it again. But one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he's, he empowers us. Some of us as believers, we have no power because we're not letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And he wants to give us power, power for the present, like the, the, the time we're living in right now. And here's the third one. It gives you hope for the future. How does it give you hope for the future? Because you can look at your current circumstance right now and recognize this isn't the end. Thank God. I have hope. One day I'm going to be with Jesus. One day everything's going to be made right. One day there will be no more tears and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more pain and there will be no more like. When you understand what Jesus did for you, the good news, the gospel, you walk through what you're going through right now and you're like, this is hard, but I've got power to walk this out right now and I've got hope for the future because I know this is not my home this is not my home I'm just passing through and God's going to make it all right one day and I've got hope I've got hope for the future we are more than conquerors we are promised eternal life and then in the previous verses that we just read a minute ago these people were being recognized one of the things was for their love for people and did you notice in these verses where the ability to love others comes from. It was in verse 8. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. The love that they had for other people came from the Holy Spirit. So I would say this. If you're trying to love others without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. Why are you going to have a hard time? 
because like Jesus loved others on earth. He had the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested on him. Let him in the wilderness to be tempted. He comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit to start ministry. And he loved people even to the point of hanging on a cross and saying, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. After they had spit on him, beaten him, ripped flesh from his body, put a crown of thorns on his head, nailed him to a cross, ridiculed him, tore his clothes, throwing dice. Who, who wants all this? And in the middle of all of that, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to love people the way that we're supposed to love people. And if we're trying to love people apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, you're going to have a difficult time. Because, and here's why. People will hurt you. People will hurt you. There are people, listen, we love that you're here, but we're all humans. Okay? There are people in this church, if you stick around long enough, somebody will probably hurt you. <laughs> somebody said one time, if you ever find the perfect church, get out quickly because you'll mess it up. Because <laughs> everywhere you go, there you are. Somebody, listen, somebody is eventually going to hurt you. And the only way that we can love one another, as Jesus said, you will know that you are, the, pe- the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another, the way that you love the people you're in relationship with, the way that you love one another. And the only way to pull that off is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to let the Holy Spirit do a work in our lives. Verses 9 and 10, he goes on, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes and he says, he tells us that if we lack wisdom, we need to ask God for it and he'll give it to us. And we don't have time today to get into i thought about doing it maybe i'll do it sometime a series on the will of god because there are different places in scripture where it is clear where the bible says this is the will of god for you who are in christ jesus like there are certain things in scripture that are clear that if you're a follower of jesus this is god's will for your life and i don't have time to go through all those today but maybe that can be your homework assignment maybe we'll talk about that sometime but paul uh paul says that when we understand the will of god and we receive god's wisdom there's a few things that'll happen Here's what he says. Our lives will honor and please the Lord. Our lives will produce good fruit. And we will grow and know God better. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. I have not stopped praying for you. We are still praying for you. That we want you to have knowledge of his will. We want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then this is what's going to happen. Your life will always honor and please the Lord. Your life is going to produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while, you're going to grow as you learn to know God better and better. And then Paul's prayer for these believers goes on in the next few verses, verses 11 through 14. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Come on, anybody need any endurance and patience? He says, I'm praying for you. Maybe you ought to pray. Maybe you ought to pray for the person that is, is sitting somewhere around you this week. And you're like, before I leave today, I'm going to get their name. I'm going to pray for endurance and patience. And they can pray for you for the same thing. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. May, may you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people 
who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Paul prays for believers to have God's strength. And why, why do we need God's strength? So we can endure and have patience. And many of us, we, we've had to endure things in life. We've had to exercise patience in life. And many times we've messed it up. Anybody ever messed it up? Can I say, that's where this, this free gift of grace, the grace of God in your life, that's where it comes in. That you don't have to beat yourself up, but you just repent. Whew, I messed that up. And I need God's grace to work in my life. I need to lean. I need to lean more into him. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to, like, I'm recognizing some things now. I need to let the Holy Spirit work this out in my, life, in my heart because there's something going on here. And the Bible tells us that the ability to do those things actually comes from God's strength and power. And too often we walk through difficulties in our own strength and our own power and we end up stumbling and we end up giving up. I think a lot of the reasons why we give up on things sometimes is because we try to do it. We tried to do it. I tried to do it. I tried to make it happen. In my own strength, I thought, I'm going to white knuckle it, and I'm going to make it happen. And that lasts for about six months. And then we're like, I'm out. Because we weren't relying on the Holy Spirit. God's strength, God's power working in our lives. Too often we try to produce patience in our own strength, in our own power, and it only lasts for a moment. And part of Paul's prayer is that we would receive God's strength and we receive God's power to be able to thrive in endurance and patience as a Christian. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we can always have joy and our hearts can be full of thankfulness because of what he did. What he did. It's, it's not because of our circumstances. It's that in our circumstances, we remember the good news. We remember the gospel. We remember what Jesus did. And that, man, he set me free from my past. And he's giving me power to walk this out right now. And I've got hope for the future. I don't have to be discouraged right now. There's hope. There's more coming down the line. Now look at verses 15 through 17. I love this section of Colossians 1. It says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. As, I'm, as I was reading this, and I'm not finished yet, but as I was reading this, this last week and going back through this, it was almost like that. Anybody know that? If you have an iPhone, you know that emoji where it's like the brain is exploding out of the person's head, you know? Like that's what, that's what comes to my mind whenever I read this. Because this is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's like you would send this to somebody in a text with like, you know, like, can't even fathom. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, when you read those verses that describe Jesus, I pray that we would be people that we're just in awe. Just in awe. That we would not treat Jesus just as somebody that we add to our life, but that when we recognize this, what, that Jesus existed before anything. Before anything. We've had instances where, and, and these are good things. I think that when kids start asking questions, it's a good thing. Because that means they're searching out 
like, who is God? And, and they're not just relying on mom and dad's faith to get them through. But now it's like the Holy Spirit's working in their life. It's like, you need to understand this for you. You need to get this for you. You, you can't just take, because taking our word for it will only last so long. They got to have their own faith. But, but questions, some of the questions that get asked, and maybe you've had these asked of you before, is, is uh, well, who made God? God made everything, but who made God? And our brains can't even wrap around the fact that God has always been. God was never created. He has always been. There just came a point, and he stands outside of time. So even saying this statement doesn't even really make sense, but there came a point in time where he decided to create the heavens and the earth and people and animals and trees and plants. And we read about it in Genesis. But did you know before Genesis ever happened, God has always been. He has always, well, pastor, what was God doing before that? I don't know. <laughs> I just know he's always been. <laughs> he's always been. And when I read this and I'm like, man, Jesus existed before anything. He is supreme over everything. And it's funny. I read that term and this translation says supreme over everything. And you know what the first thing that comes to my mind is, which actually could be a decent word picture, supreme pizza. What is the point of, think about it with me for just a moment. What is the point of supreme pizza? I want everything on it. Some people call it the kitchen floor. Just put it all on the pizza. The point of a supreme pizza is generally, not all the time, but generally that you don't have to add anything to it. It's got it all. You don't have to add anything to it. It says Jesus is supreme over everything. Everything is in Jesus, and you don't have to add to him. Like Everything you need is there. He existed before everything. He's supreme over everything. Everything was created through him. John would tell us in John 1.1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you picture this, that Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. So when God, it's like, and everything was created through him. So I picture it this way, that when, when God spoke, Jesus, that he is the word. And in the beginning the word was with God and the word was God. He made everything we can see. He made everything we can't see. Everything was created for him. And he holds everything together. So if you're trying to hold your life together, you need to hand your life over to Jesus. Because he's the one who holds everything together together I mean it's it seems so simple but at the same time it's so profound and so deep that Jesus has all like Jesus was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and Jesus is God and Jesus came to earth and Jesus did all of this for us and he laid down his his divine nature so that he could actually be a human because a human had to die 
like all of these things, it's like God really did think of it all. He's always been. He's supreme over everything. He made everything. Everything we can see, everything we can't see, everything was created for him. He holds it all together. I love this statement by Dallas Willard. If you ever read anything by Dallas Willard, um, he says, The biblical and continuing vision of Jesus was of one who made all of created reality and kept it working, literally holding it together. And today, check this out. And today we think people are smart who make light bulbs and computer chips and rockets out of stuff already provided. And God made the stuff. <laughs> Wrap your mind around that. That we're like, that guy is a genius. He made the light bulb and he made a rocket. And they look at what they can do. We put somebody on the moon and we did all this other stuff. And, and Dallas Willard would say, that's awesome. God made all the stuff that everybody used out of nothing. Like, that's how mind-blowing it is to think about God or Jesus in this way. And here's the bottom line, I think, is that when you look at Jesus, you see God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. Here's what Jesus himself said in John 14. He said, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Philip says, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us who God is and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, look at me. I am him. I am him. If you've ever wondered what God is like, look at Jesus. If anyone ever asks you what God is like, show them Jesus. And I pray that we would not read about or think about Jesus casually, but that we would see and experience him for who he actually is. And then Paul goes on, I've got to hurry through the rest of this, verses 18 through 20. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus is the head of the church and we're all parts of the body of Christ. And we submit to the head of the body, which is Jesus. The part of you that is controlling everything else about you is in your head. And it's a beautiful picture of what our lives are called to look like as we follow Jesus. That as we're all a part of the body, Jesus is the head. In other words, he's the control center. He's sending all the signals. He's telling us what to do. He's giving us direction. And so I would ask you this today. If you're a part of the body and Jesus is the head of the body, is your life submitted to him? And here's a more direct way I think that we can say this. I'm not in charge. Jesus is in charge. I'm not in charge. Jesus is in charge. You're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. We're a part of the body, and Christ is the head of the body. In other words, he's given the signals. He's the, one, he's the one calling us. He's the one giving us purpose. He's the one showing us what to do and guiding us and leading us and directing us. We just have to submit to his direction. We've got to submit to it. 
So do you live your life as if you're in charge or as if Jesus is in charge? And I've heard people ask this question before and, and been in conversations, is Jesus God? And I think not only in the verses before, other places in Scripture that, that we could see where I think that shows us that Jesus is God, and that, that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all together, one God, three distinct persons, and all of that. But I could, I could point to a few places in Scripture. One of them would be right here, even in these verses we just read, that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, that he saw fit and he was pleased that all of who God is was in him. Jesus said right before that we just read where he said, why are you asking me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And thank God that he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth through what Jesus did. And let me just encourage you for a moment. This includes me, and this includes you. That by what Jesus did, God has made peace. We place our faith in Jesus, and we're made right with God. The next few verses, here's what God has done for us. Verses 21 through 23, this includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. And I love this phrasing. Don't drift away from the assurance that you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Don't drift away now you have to remember the opposing teaching that paul is combating with this letter and trying to correct and trying to bring people back to the truth that they believed in the beginning a teaching that says you have to do extra things to be saved or to be right with god and here's what paul's response to that was in verse 23 he says continue to believe that jesus did it all and you get to receive it continue to believe that jesus did it all and you get to receive it. That we're saved by grace through faith. And Paul wrote it this way in another one of his letters. Ephesians 2. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, if it was based on what we did. And if we were good enough. And God was like, I think you're good enough. Then we'd be like, look how good I am. He says, God didn't do it that way. He sent Jesus to die for us, take our place, take our sin. He was resurrected so that we could have life. We place our faith in him. We believe in what he did for us. And because we believe in what he did for us, we're made right with God. And we can't ever say, look what we did. We always have to say, look what Jesus did. I didn't do it. How did you get saved? Oh, look at what Jesus did. It's the grace of, it's the grace of God. letter goes on the next few verses 24 through 27 i'm glad when i suffer for you in my body for i am participating in the sufferings of christ that continue for his body the church god has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past and but now it has been revealed to god's people 
For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I have walked through pain, suffering, difficulty, things that have happened in life. And I love Paul's perspective. He says that he's glad that he gets to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And you know this to be true. The body of Jesus, the church, is still experiencing suffering. We're still here. and We walk through things. But I love Paul's perspective. He says, I'm glad that I get to participate in this. Jesus said this in John 15. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you, listen to this verse, the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So how do you view suffering? James, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Worship team, you can come back. And I love the encouragement that we get back at the end of verse 27. That Christ lives in you. He says, this is the secret. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. We can even say it this way, that the spirit of Jesus lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you as a believer come on that's good news no matter what you face christ lives in you no matter how difficult life is christ lives in you and then chapter one ends this way so we tell others about christ warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom god has given us we want to present them to god perfect in their relationship to christ that's why i work and struggle so hard depending on christ's mighty power that works within me Paul says, this is why I work and struggle so hard. To tell people about Jesus. To make sure people know the real gospel. And then he he makes that statement at the end. He says, this is why, that's why I work and struggle so hard depending on myself. Is that what he says? Depending on my ability. Is that what he says? Depending on my knowledge and my understanding and how good I am and how, how strong I can be, that's not what he says. He says, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I work and I struggle hard to do this, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. What can Jesus' power working through us accomplish? Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God is able to accomplish more than we can ever ask or think when we allow his power to work in us. It's his power working in us and through us that is, that is the ability to accomplish more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever think. I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are limited. God is not limited.
And when we allow his power to work in us, he's able to accomplish more than we could ever ask, think, imagine, dream up in our minds, all of it. Amen. Will you stand today? I want to invite our prayer team to come down. I want to give you an opportunity like we do at the end of every service that if you need prayer for anything in your life that you can come down and you can receive prayer. We're going to do that here in just a minute. So when the worship team begins to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to lift our hands, we're going to lift our voices. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, you can just slip out of your seat, come down, let somebody pray for you, let somebody encourage you, let somebody stand with you, believe with you. We would love to do that today. But I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we do most of the time and and just ask, ask the Lord. I, I believe there's so much that we're talking about and that we're going to be talking about in this series. But man, I believe that the Holy Spirit can cause certain things to just stand out to you. Because that's what He wants to do in your life right now. That's what He knows that you need right now. So come on, let's just ask the Lord. Lord, what are you saying to us? God, we want, we want to be obedient to your word. Lord, it is the desire of our hearts that you would speak to us even right now and that we would respond so Lord I pray right now that we would respond we would respond to what you're saying that we would respond to your written word we would respond to what you're you're, uh, you're speaking to our hearts right now what you're pointing out to us right now what you're lovingly convicting us of right now God I pray that we would continue to be people that submit to you and we would say things like not my will but your will be done in my life not my will but your will be done and Holy Spirit I pray as we sing this last song today and we worship you that you would draw every person today who needs prayer for anything in their life in Jesus